This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Anthony Becht will join us in about 15 minutes. Former Jet tight end, part of our uh, Jet broadcast team right here on the channel. We'll go a little Jets-Giants talk with him, some NFL, and the coach, Anthony Becht. He is now getting ready to take over the reins of the expansion XFL franchise in St. Louis once that launches coming up in February of next year. So we look forward to that. And Anthony will join us a little bit later on here. But, you know, late Friday night, like we were sitting down at the station doing the jet broadcast against the Eagles. And then the news broke regarding the suspension of Fernando Tatis. 80 games. And remember, Fernando Tatis Jr. has not played a game yet this year because during the offseason, he was riding his motorcycle and fell, had an accident, and he broke his wrist. And that bad boy still hasn't healed well enough yet to where he was going to be able to play. And for those that are just keeping score at home and maybe haven't been keeping up with the Joneses in San Diego, Padres gave Fernando Tatis Jr. an extremely extremely wealthy contract once upon a time. As a matter of fact, they gave him a $340 million contract already. And mind you, they did this years before they had to. Remember, he was still a young player. He was only in his second year in the league. He was the definition of a controllable player to where you don't have to invest mega resources in this guy yet. He wasn't slated to make major money for... Still at least a few more years. If you wanted to give him the mega extension before he hits free agency, you know, you could wait a couple of years. They elected to, boom, just throw all this money at him then. I think it was 14 years, $340 million. And he hasn't played a game yet this year. And last year, he missed 30 games. When he was a rookie, he missed half the season. So now he's been in the league for four years. Injuries will have impacted three of the four seasons. He's going to have an 80-game suspension, which is going to eat into next season. So four of his first five seasons in Major League Baseball will be impacted by absences of some degree, injury, suspension. And the Padres are still on the hook for tons of money for this guy. It just is another example as to why, for the life of me, I can't understand. I know he's an incredible talent when he plays. But why are you selling your soul to pay these guys way before you even have to? It makes no sense to me whatsoever. And I said when we went to the tease at the end of the last hour how it has a direct impact on one of the locals here. You know how it has an impact? Remember when the Mets traded for Fernando or uh, Francisco Lindor? And remember they had to work out a contract. Francisco Lindor wanted to be the highest paid shortstop and he stuck to his guns and he ended up signing a contract with the Mets for three hundred and forty one million dollars one million dollar more than the Padres gave Fernando Tatis Jr. And look I know the Mets are winning this year I know Francisco Lindor is a big part of it he's having a really really good year set the all-time record for most shortstop RBIs in a single season for the Mets did that yesterday great but I think you know and I know that seven eight years down the road that contract is going to look horrible because I don't think Fernando or Francisco Lindor is going to be worth that kind of money seven eight years down the road so if the Padres never gave around Tatis that money 
when the Mets made the move for Lindor, would he have been as adamant about getting those type of dollars if that first contract was never a precedent in what Tatis got from San Diego? And what's the return that Tatis has given the Padres? Nothing. Do you realize, by the way, a couple of years ago when we had the Fugazi 60-game season in 2020, Padres made the playoffs that year. But that was a 60-game season. To me, that doesn't count. Last time the Padres made the playoffs in a full 162-game season, you got to go all the way back to 2006. That's a long time ago. A really long time ago. So here's A.J. Preller. He's the general manager of the Padres. And look, he stuck his neck out. He went all in at the trade deadline. Remember, he depleted his farm system to go get Juan Soto and Josh Bell from the Nationals. Got Josh Hader, the all-star closer from the Milwaukee Brewers, thinking this is a World Series push. I got Juan Soto under control for two-plus years. I got to go all in for the next two-plus seasons. With Tatis supposed to be a big part of that. Well, he let them down in the offseason by crashing his motorcycle. They told him already no more motorcycles because this was the second time this has happened to him. And he still went out there and played with this thing, and it suffered a season-ending injury or close to a season-ending injury. Now he goes out there and he gets a suspension. And you know what? The Padre GM pulled no punches, and good for him. Take a listen. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, again, I think we'll, we'll start digging into, I think more like the, you know, like the shoulder and the wrist. We'll look a little bit more into that now because I think, you know, we'll have some more time to have some conversations there. And, yeah, I think what we need to get to is a point in time where we, we, we trust. I mean, I think that's, you know, again, I think that that's, uh, you know, over the course of the last, you know, six or seven months, I think that's been something that, that we haven't really been able to have there. And I think for, from our standpoint, you know, obviously he's a, he's a great talent. He's, he's a guy that we have a lot of history with and, and do believe in. These things only work when there's trust both ways. And I think that's going to be something that we're going to have plenty of conversation and time to, uh, to talk to Fernando about. And that's something that, you know, clearly uh, if we're going to have a partnership and a real relationship, we've got to make sure that that's strong. That's refreshing to me. I saw that. I was pleasantly surprised because more often than not, they let the star players in sports kind of run the show. And Tatis, look, by all accounts, he's a good dude, right? Never got into any trouble. Good dude, but he's immature. He's young and he's immature, despite the fact that he's a hell of a baseball player and he's an incredible talent. When a guy plays, he's unbelievable. That's why they gave him all this money. But you're talking about an investment here. And an investment works both ways. Trust works both ways. What did Derek Jeter say in the Captain documentary, right? Loyalty one way is just stupid. And I think that that's what you're seeing here from San Diego. And for I was at the game when the Padres were here in New York a couple of weeks ago to play the Mets. I was sitting right behind the Padre dugout. I saw Tatis. He was in the dugout. He was hanging out with his teammates, seemed to be in good spirits. I mean, shoot, he was already taking batting practice, doing drills. You thought that he'd be on the comeback trail pretty soon. Not so fast. And I guess what happened was he took – a drug to help get rid of ringworm, okay? Some topical ointment which had a banned substance that Major League Baseball and the Players Association, in accordance with the joint drug agreement, said you can't have in your system. A topical cream or a topical spray or something like that. Even Fernando Tatis Sr., the former Met, who's his father, did some interview today and he said, yeah, he, had, he went to get a haircut he got ringworm, 
and he used something which he probably shouldn't have used, but it had nothing to do with helping him be a better baseball player. All right, fine. That's just immaturity if you ask me. Right? It's not that hard to pick up the phone, call your trainer. Every team has one. Or call the person who's in charge of the stuff at the club. Call the Players Association. Hey, I'm taking this. Can I use this? Is this legal? Or is it have banned stuff in it? I guess he never did that. And now if you're the Padres, you're not going to see him on the field for quite some time. A guy who knows a thing or two about cheating and suspensions, our buddy A-Rod, we bring him up again. He had some things to say about Tatis last night on the K-Rod cast. No regrets, no excuses for my behavior. It is on me. And look, we'll talk about the Tatis thing later. I I wish that a lot of these young players who I admire so much learned from my stupidity and my debacle. Mm -hmm. And it it almost brings me to tears to see a kid like Tatis who's 23 years old that for the rest of his career, he's just going to play it out. There's probably no Hall of Fame. I'm not going to go to the Hall of Fame probably because of my own mistake. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking for me. It's heartbreaking to explain that to my daughters. But that's on me. So I get to be now hopefully a better friend, a better business person, more importantly, a better father. (laughs) A better business person so I can make some more money still like he needs it. No, but I I will disagree with him on one thing A-Rod just said. I actually think that because something like this happened early in Fernando Tatis' career, that if he goes on and plays for like 12, 14 years and stays out of trouble and doesn't have any more suspensions or anything like that, I still think he can actually get into the Hall of Fame. They might overlook this whole ringworm thing, you know, 15, 20 years down the road and say, well, it didn't really have much of an impact on the rest of his career, and they might still vote him in if he goes out there and produces and plays to the capabilities that everybody thinks he can. But, ju- I mean, just once. I mean, every. I mean, has there ever been an athlete who has gotten busted for a performance-enhancing drug, come out and tell you, well, you know what? Yeah, I did it. I did it on purpose. That was all me. I knew exactly what I was doing. Nobody gets caught doing stuff that they intentionally set out to do. It's always an unknowing thing. Ah, yeah, I, 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 there's no way I did this intentionally. No way. Got to be some misunderstanding. But why does it keep happening? Why the hell does it keep happening? That's what I want to know. It can't be that hard. Like I said, Players Association, each team, they go out there. They got phone numbers. They got people you can text, you can email, you can call. Hey, run this checklist. Can I take this? Yay or nay? Tatis was too busy. Maybe he was riding his motorcycle now that that wrist is getting better. 800-919-3776. That's the telephone number. We come back. Anthony Becht, coach. Anthony Beck. We'll talk some football with him when we return. It's Dan Grasso with you till the top of the hour. It's the Dan Grasso Show, 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs> so it's our first show, as you know, if you've been listening. And there's going to be a trivia question asked one day. Who was the first guest on the first ever episode of the Dan Grasso Show here on 98.7 ESPN? And the correct answer to said trivia question will be none other then a former first-round pick tight end of the New York Jets. He's part of our broadcast team here on 98.7 ESPN. It is the great Anthony Becht, who we address now as Coach Anthony Becht of the St. Louis team in the XFL. A.B., how are you? I'll tell you, I'm still impressed you came up with my $50,000 fee to come on show, so that's pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> hey, you know how to play the hits. I know, I know you got, you know, your millions of listeners tonight in your first show, but I just want to say, you know, obviously me and you, man, we're tight. You're my guy. I'm, I'm, I can't be more proud of the fact that, you know, 
this is obviously overdue for you in general, but proud you got your own show, man. I know you're going to kill it, dude. Anytime you ever need me to come on, I will be there for you, but man, I'm totally stoked. I think you're going to do an awesome job and, uh, it's going to be a fun ride for you, man, so congratulations. I appreciate it, brother, you know that. And, you know, it goes right back at you. And you're in St. Louis right now. You're, you're out there greeting your people. You're kissing babies and all that <laughs> stuff. How's everything going with the uh, head coaching duties now with St. Louis and the XFL? It's going great. I mean, listen, this is the PR side. This is a stage where we're just trying to kind of embrace this uh, fan base. And uh, it's been good. I mean, look, they, this was the best fan base in XFL 2020. I mean, without question it was. Uh, I mean, the first two people I, I've met so far, I had lunch with a guy who's in a $35 million house in St. Louis, on, in Lake uh, St. Louis. And I met another guy that owns one of the biggest healthcare care uh, companies, the number one sports fan, football fan that, you know, you could ever be around, just had dinner with him. I mean, these people are, you know, totally immersed uh, with, with the XFL and their team. Uh, the fact that, you know, their team was taken away, their NFL football team, the Rams, they're a little bitter, and they're really just ready to embrace, uh, you know, the St. Louis football team. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. We got a ton of stuff here the next two two days, you know, basically 12 hours of nonstop TV, radio, sightseeing, content, uh, people building, and all that jazz. So uh, it's fun, man. I played here for a year and a half. It's a great family town. Kind of awesome sports town. You know, baseball obviously yeah. is the is the pinnacle out here. I'll be throwing the first pitch to, uh, Wednesday. Okay. Get out of here! I'm not nervous. Are you serious? Nervous, I got yeah. I'm seeing. I got my custom, you know, Beck Cardinals jersey. They got me. I'm number 88 on the back of it, and and I'm trying to think. Do I go out there and totally try to go viral and just throw it into the stands, or do I try to just hum it in there? And give him a little heater right down the right down the pike, which I think I can do too. So, uh, looking forward to it. So we got a lot lined up, man. It's pretty it's pretty fun. Make sure you warm up for me seriously. Like warm oh, up, like no doubt, go in the tunnel. Just I mean, throw about ten from <laughs> you know fifty feet. Are, last week, man. Are, are you going on the mound, or are you going like at the foot of the mound? Well, that's are you going on the rubber? I, now I heard I heard that's an option. You either can do it at the midpoint there, where you see a lot of the you know a lot of the less athletic people do it and then you got some of those you know people that want to go all in and hit the mound so I'm, I'm, i've been told go on the mound you know it, it, it's people embrace it a little more but man that's i gotta have some warm-ups before i get on now, now dude go on the ball. rubber come on you're a professional athlete you gotta go on the rubber I, I know it's not you're not a baseball player but go on the rubber come on now hold on now that's not quite listen my number well, one professionally world spirit I play. Oh, well, professionally now. Clearly, yeah. I'm, that's not where I'm at. But uh, it's been a minute. I just, you know, I don't I get competitive. You know, when you got former athletes up there, you try to get a little. You know, you try to overdo it. So I'm trying to stay focused and and get locked in. Well, the good thing about it if is, I throw a should... strike, if I throw a strike, nobody's going to know or care because it's never going to go. No one's going to see it. You know, except the people at the game. You know, well, you should, you should at least feel comfortable though when you're there because there's actually somebody on the Cardinals who's older than you are in Albert Pujols. He's not older than me. He was born in India, I thought. <laughs> I know. It just was seems like it. I'm trying to make now. you he's feel old. better. <laughs> he's, he's old. He's old in the baseball world. Hell, I, I told him that's the guy I want to meet when I get there. So hopefully he comes out, gives me a hug, and gives me some advice when I'm out there. Does he? Is he DHing? What is his? his yeah, he's uh, duty. He's DHing. He 
He got two home runs yesterday. He's up to 689. Oh, wow. He's only seven behind A-Rod on the all-time. He's seven behind A-Rod from uh, fourth on the all-time list, for crying out uh, loud. I'm so glad he came back. I mean, it was, it was you know, I just, him in an Angels uniform was fun, but you know, him coming back, that's pretty awesome. So, yeah, he like hey, cashing the 700. That'd be great. He liked cashing those checks uh, when he was with the Angels. That's for damn sure, all that money they were paying him out there. Yeah. Talking to Coach Anthony Beck, he'll be throwing the first pitch out at the Cardinals game on Wednesday. Um, All right, let's talk a little football here. You were in the booth rocking it with my man uh, Ian Eagle on Friday night on the TV side of things before you uh, rejoin us for the season on radio. But Zach goes down, looks like preliminary two to four weeks. He's going to have that knee looked at tomorrow, go under the knife, and then they'll get a little bit more of a clear diagnosis uh, from your perspective right now, what should the mindset be as far as panic level for the Jets heading into the season? Well, here's the problem. It's, it's, it's an aggravating injury, right? I mean, you're going to have to wear a knee brace. You know, you're not going to be fully healthy when you come back. It's going to be a process, you know, throughout the season. And, and, and honestly, to start the year, I mean, let's be frank. I mean, you know, you want the best guys, the healthiest guys. You, know, you're, you pray the entire guys, all the rostered players that are – the starters that are supposed to be the stars are out there and they're healthy. And here you go. It's another year. It's like, what, what could possibly happen? And, uh, you know, and Zach does this now, you know, does this change? It, it does change some things from, you know, he is a little bit of a creator. He can extend, uh, you know, he's a guy that can move around and do some, you know, off platform stuff. I mean, you know, it's tough to do that when you're wearing a knee brace and you just had uh, arthroscopic surgery and, and hopefully it is what it is. I mean, and, and they don't know yet 100%, but when they go in there. But, if it, you know, it, it's going to take every bit of four weeks just to be where you need to be to actually go out there and play, but you're not going to be 100%. And that's always going to linger on your mind because, you know, there's going to be some times where it twitches and it hurts and you know, you're going to do things where it's going to not feel comfortable. And I just want these guys to come out there full strength. And can we have a season where everybody's full strength and here the quarterback the guy that we're counting on more than any of these players is is the guy that gets uh, that gets injured. It just boggles my mind. But um, I'm so excited about the team, though. I, I really do believe this ha- this team is probably one of the better talent talent level teams we've had in New York in a long time. I mean, all the free agents, all the rookies, these guys are ball players, man. I mean, you know, Jordan Whitehead, we seriously got him for a discount, like. He should not be in another uniform outside the Buccaneers. I mean, you saw him uniform. down there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just—he was one of the top three safeties in the NFL, bar none, last year for the Buccaneers. So he is an extremely talented player, and and these rookies, man, I'm telling you, Brees Hall obviously have you know some 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 inside knowledge with him because I've been watching him. My son goes there, so you know I'm, I know him well. I mean, he's, he's a real big league back, and if he pans out the way he should be, it's going to be an awesome one-two punch between him and Carter. I mean, Garrett Wilson's a legit one threat. I mean, the two routes that he ran, the one, he, that deep dig, I mean, to get separation, catch a ball, and to be able to turn and run before somebody hits you, like when's the last time we saw that? You know, we saw a little Elijah Moore a little bit, but you're talking about some dudes now. This offensive line, yeah, no Beckton, I get it, but, you know, teams would love to have three out of the five guys be good players. I think across the board, even with Dwayne Brown, like there's five legit guys on that line that, like, can make a quarterback really good, open up holes and protect. So, uh, look, it all does come down with a quarterback, and, and, of course, Zach's going to be nicked up. But when he is out there and he can go, I think he's got a lot of pieces around him, at least offensively, to have success and have a big jump from, from year one. 
Anthony Beck joining us here on 98.7 ESPN talking a little football. You mentioned Beckton, and look, the guy probably is not going to play for the better part of two years once this is all said and done. I, I don't know. None of us know what his future is. Forget about with the Jets, with the NFL. But Dwayne Brown, here you got a guy who wasn't in an off-season program at all. They say that he's in good shape, but you know this. There's good shape, and then there's football shape. How much of an adjustment do you think it's going to be for a guy who – you know, 37 years old, he's a veteran and everything, but he hasn't been in the football mode in a while. He'll be ready to go week one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's going to get his conditioning up, and he's not going to be able to get that in preseason, which he's not going to play. And, uh, it's going and to be that hard hurts. To practice to repl- it does hurt. Yeah, there's no doubt. But listen, the guy's been playing a long time. You know, last two years, I believe he started every game except one. And, uh, you know, he's 36 years old. I mean, you know, the, the Rams had a 40-year-old tackle the last couple of years playing for them at a very high level. And I would say Dwayne Brown's much better than Andrew Whitworth. So, um, you know, look, uh, Dwayne Brown does, is not going to be able to practice every day. You're going to have to, you know, give him some days off. So there's going to be some, some things you'll have to work around him because, you know, you want to keep him healthy. But uh, I think, listen, he's as good as the what's available out there right now to play that position. And, I think it does solidify the line and make him a really good offensive line. He's he's going to be above average, which is is, is far better than a lot of teams have at the tackle position right now. I I think just be available is I think a step in the right direction. If you're the Jets, you'll take that. You know, you want some certainty Absolutely. that that's a guy you can count on each and every week to be out there and you know take his position. As far as the Giants are concerned. Um, they're kind of a step behind the Jets because this is year one head coach, year one general manager. They're just putting their program into place. Yeah, they have the veteran quarterback in Daniel Jones, and you know we don't know what the evaluation for him is going to be by this new regime. But when you look at big picture for the Giants, could you maybe sense some optimism or, or produce some optimism in the fact that Maybe that NFC East, there's some opportunity there. It's not the gauntlet that, let's say, the AFC East is, so maybe the Giants have a chance to make some noise? I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen immediately. You know, I think uh, the Daniel Jones situation is is still pending as far as, you know, Dable's going to go all in on him, but, you know, can he make the turn that they need and lead the team? Uh, I think their skilled player positions, they signed a few guys to big contracts last year. Galladay did was hurt, didn't perform well. You know, is he going to be turn out to be a big-time player? Uh, Kadarius Tony, I mean, clearly he's got potential. You know, Saquon, can he stay healthy for the season? Offensive line, I mean, yeah, okay, they revamped and they've got some guys, but can they stay healthy and, and protect the quarterback? And, and, you know, the quarterback's been used to, you know, just not having a lot of success. And is that going to continue to kind of rear its ugly head throughout the season? I'll be honest with you, and this is just – this is not a biased statement. I just mm-hmm. think from a talent, collective talent standpoint, from whether from a veteran to the to to a lower level player, I, I really believe the Jets are more talented. In my opinion, they have an edge on them. Now, does that translate to anything? I don't know. I mean, both of those teams have obviously have been struggling, and and I don't know if the Giants. You're right. The division is weak. Yeah. Well, Eagles and Dallas are good teams. I mean, I don't know if they're the strongest, but. Yeah, they're good. I mean, they're, they're you know, Eagles went to the playoffs. Dallas said at some point, you, know, you figure, I mean, they'll be able to, you know, they'll, they'll be good. I mean, they're just competitive every week, and Dak's a good player. So, you know, and, and I would say, you know, with Washington, they're not great, but they're, you know, they, they'll fight you. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not the toughest division, but I, I just don't see how the Giants find a way to win, you know, 
four more games from the season before or anywhere in that draft. I think they can win more than they have. But I do like the hire. I like Dable. I think he's a good coach. And if anybody can get a quarterback right, I think he's the right guy. So, you know, we'll see what Daniel Jones does. I, I want the guy to succeed. I actually like him. I think he's a really good player. He's just, you know, he, he has not shown the potential where he should be. And, and quite frankly, at some point, you know, it's starting to like, well, this is maybe what he is. And, you know, and, and that's not what they want because now you're like, okay, well, what's the next step? And ultimately, if it's, you know, you go out and get a veteran moving forward or, you know, go draft another guy, you're starting all over again. So they're kind of a tricky situation at the quarterback position. You know what's unfortunate for the Giants? You know, they played the Patriots last week. Patriots didn't play any starters on either side of the ball. So that's difficult from an evaluation process. Zach Taylor, the Bengals coach, who the Giants play next, came out today and said no starters on, for the game against the Giants on either side of the ball. How do you make evaluations to your players if you know that they're not going up against the best the other team has to offer? And look, you played when you played, you starters, ones, they played in the preseason. I know it wasn't a lot, but still, they played a heck of a lot more than that's happening now. So, I mean, like, how do you possibly sit there and try to get an honest gauge as to who belongs and who doesn't belong? And I mean, now you're a coach. You could speak to this. So, I mean, what's the difficulty yeah. level there with these guys? I, You know, look, coach and, you know, former player in the position of playing through it, you know, does it really help me prepare? You know, there's a limited – there's, a, there's an amount of plays that ultimately does get me ready. Do I want to be out there? No. But do I know it's, there's, there's an important aspect to it? Yes. I just think now with the three games, the investment you have in these players um, and what you have to do for a 17-game season, I honestly don't think it's really worth playing any starters at all, honestly. That's just my opinion now. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a vital part too sometimes, but, and it has in the past. But the problem is – that most of the teams that have a quarterback in place, like nobody cares, but the, the giants do have a problem because their most important position, they got to figure out, you know, he's got to get acclimated to the new system. Uh, you know, everything that's going on with the new offense and yet nobody good technically from a starter standpoint is playing on the other side of football. So, right, right, right. You know, look, you just take it for what it is. You put them out there, you run what you have to run. And you hope you have success. I mean, clearly you'd think you'd, you'd be playing well versus twos and threes. But if you're not, then there's a, probably a bigger sense of, of worry, worrisomeness of the fact that, okay, well, we can't have success versus some of these teams that aren't playing anybody. Where is that going to lead us to the season? So you put a little validity in the preseason. I was never somebody that thought, okay, if you're kind of crappy in the preseason and maybe as a team and guys are playing regardless of how many snaps you took, I never really thought that dictated – what you were going to be during the season because you're not running anywhere near close what you're really running during the year. So right. you know, it's very basic vanilla. You're just trying to get out there and get live reps, get in some kind of game shape. So, you know, to me, I don't know. It's, it's important, but for the Giants, I, it is. It's a critical time because, like you said, it's the quarterback, the new system, the new offense. It's big. All right, last thing, and, and I wanted to ask you because, you know, you, you, you live down there, and this – absence of tom brady from training camp um it's odd you know like right in the middle of camp and right in the middle of the preseason he decides to leave for a couple of weeks and with the team's blessing also coming off of an off season where you know he was flirting with retiring he was retired for a few days until he changed his mind are we or should we be reading any more into this you think and or is it just even though it's unconventional it's just the guy who was given permission by his team to leave for a couple of weeks no i mean look i Dan, it's odd because nobody can do it except him. Like, who else warrants 
10 days off, I mean, whatever right. it is. I mean, you know, he doesn't need – he's not playing in the preseason, okay? Yeah, not practice, timing, all that stuff. But, you know, all these guys are back. I mean, Julio is the only extra receiver. And I'll tell you what, that last practice you practiced that versus the Dolphins, you look – them two look pretty damn good. It looks scary, actually. So, you know, I think we're reading in too much of it. I mean, listen, this guy deserves to do whatever the hell he wants. I'll be quite honest with him. And he gets a lot of leniency on – personnel and all that other stuff play calling who the head coach is apparently so you know look there's no question on his work ethic there's no question on his desire to do things but listen man he's in a different time in his life this guy came out in the same draft as me right i mean you're i mean this guy's been doing this for so long there's nothing you can show him or nothing new you can do in the preseason that's going to be like oh man i gotta work on that like it's just it doesn't matter right it's just being healthy being ready to go mentally, I think all those things are in play. He's back to play. He didn't have to come back. Like, nobody forces his hand. I mean, he had $400 million to go sit in the booth if he wanted it. So he wanted to do it, and once he committed to it, you know he's all in. So I just think, listen, it is odd because nobody else has earned the right to, to do that. There are probably some players. I mean, Aaron Donald wants to do it. Hey, he ain't playing in the preseason. Give 10 days off, whatever it is. But you know, this is a changing league, man. It's just a lot of things are done differently, and honestly, the practice pace and tempo they do now, it's not real great. I mean, they're just, you know, everybody's afraid of injury. So they're not hitting as much. There's not as much pads. And a guy at his level, I just really think we're overthinking everything, and it's just odd and different, and people want to write about the story, but I don't think it's really much to look into at all. But it's news because it's Tom Brady, and that's why we talk about 1, it. Because, and, you know, right, and it's not something that he's ever done before. It's usually, like, reserved for guys like Brett Favre, not Tom Brady. Like, I feel like on he's a, a guy that would never camp. vouch for that. Like, hey, if somebody said take 10 days off, what would he say in the past? Oh, hell no. I would never, of course I would not. Never, I would never do that, right? So, I mean, I, listen, I, I'm sure there's some things that, you know, maybe within his family that says, you know what, like, listen, like, we need some time. Maybe there's school start. Maybe there's something with the kids. Who knows? I mean – Ten days, honestly, I mean, you know, there's a lot of time between now and whatever to get the roster set. He doesn't play in the preseason games, and he's, you know, does exactly what he needs to do, and this team will be humming. I don't, I don't see any letdown. And this is what happens, though, because people are just praying that he doesn't look as good in the beginning of the season because all they're going to do is what? The story is, oh, the 10-day break. And then Todd Bowles got to sit in front and talk about this and that and all that stuff and justify all the decisions, but – I think he's earned the right to do it. It's his, he'll be ready to go because it's his responsibility to do it, and he will. And if he goes out there and has a great year again, which you expect, there's going to be other guys in the league that are probably going to look to <laughs> yeah, do the same thing. Yeah, how many players are going to take to ask for 10 oh. days, two weeks off in the league? It'll be crazy. <laughs> They're going to write it in their contracts, 100%. No question. Uh, Anthony, no thanks question. for a couple of minutes, my friend. Uh, we'll be certainly tuning in with keen interest to see your first pitch coming up on Wednesday. You better not disappoint us. Oh, boy. But uh, I, we'll so talk to you soon. This, I don't even know if the game – it's the Rockies, so I don't know if the Rockies – I don't think the Rockies are really no. stoppers. But uh, I'm sure you can find it. I mean, look, you got ways of watching games. So, yeah, you got to uh, – we'll get some live video up. We'll make sure it's filmed heavily from all angles. I'm sure they're going to bring you in the booth, too. I'm going to DVR the Cardinal game on TV, and I'm going to watch it and see everything. <laughs> I'm sure they're going to chronicle it from both ends for you. <laughs> They are. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. You know, got, got a lot of time in between now and then to get it right, so I'm, I feel good about it. Well, we're all counting on you, my friend. You know that. Uh, thanks for a couple of minutes. Thanks for hopping on the show, and uh, we'll talk to you again uh, on Monday, I guess, at the game. Yeah, man. Yeah, I love it, Dan. Congrats, dude. Kill it. I can't wait, man. It's going to be great for you, man. Uh, have a great show, and uh, anytime you need me, man, let me know. Appreciate it. That's Anthony Becht. 
coach Anthony Beck to St. Louis in the XFL and part of our Jet broadcast team right here on 98.7 ESPN. Interesting things to say about the Jets and the Giants and a little NFL conversation there at 800-919-3776. We come back, a couple of noteworthy developments in Major League Baseball today. One, a manager getting axed. One, a team's World Series fortunes may be taking a hit. We'll talk about that when we return. We're rolling till 10. Dan Grosser with you on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Got about 10 minutes left in this bad boy. We'll turn it over to our good pal Larry Hardesty, who will take you the rest of the evening. Mets trailing the Bravos 3-0 in the bottom of the fourth inning after a pretty decent rain delay, which interrupted things back in the second inning. Yanks, well, some good news and bad news. Good news, another good start for Garrett Cole. Six innings tonight, just one run allowed. Bad news? Team can't score a run. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. Um, they've given themselves more chances than last night, but they've struck out 10 times. They're just one for five with runners in scoring position and just can't get that breakthrough hit. And Aaron Hicks is becoming, I mean, if he wasn't there already, he's becoming like the second version or the you know reincarnation of Joey Gallo in terms of the fans' minds and the fans' sentiments. Uh, I mean, not only isn't it he's not producing, but the fans are reminding of him Constantly. Constantly. So one nothing Tampa Bay. They're in the bottom of the eighth inning. Let's see if the Yanks have uh, some magic in those bats at all because it's been missing for the last several, several days. Let's say hi to Lonnie in Long Island. He's up next here on 98.7. Lonnie, how are you? Hey, Dan. How's it going, Dan? Lonnie, what's up, buddy? Well, I'm a crying. I, I, I'm just disgusted. The Yankees, they only aggravate me. I can't. I cannot. Hicks probably drives me up a wall. He's always horrible. Boone and his crew, they can't seem to do it right. We're not going to win when Lawrence Boone is there. We're not going to win. He don't know what he's doing as far as I'm concerned. He's a great guy to high, high, high with the guys, but he's just not that manager with the Mets have. You know, we need a good manager that knows what he's doing. Out the Yankees, they can't hit. I've never seen a team that can't hit so bad. I mean, swinging that stuff foot out of the strike zone. I mean, I'm looking, I'm like, you're not going to swing at that. And sure enough, they swing at it. I mean, between Donaldson, Hicks, oh, my God. And and now the kid, what's his name, the second baseman, he does it a lot, too. These guys strike out too much. We need some contact hitters. I, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, we're not going to go anywhere. If we don't get somebody that can hit the ball, forget about the playoffs. We're not going nowhere. I mean, we're not going to win. I, I tell you right now. Well, I'm Lonnie- ready. Lonnie, I'll tell you this, though, and I thank you for the phone call. I know you're passionate. I know you're a fan. I know you're disappointed. You should be. You know, nobody wants to see your team play like this, especially now. But things have been so easy for the Yankees all year, and this has been a little bit of a reality check the last month and a half. But baseball, I don't know how many times we have to say it. As opposed to the NBA, it takes more than just one guy. Look at the Angels. Mike Trout's been like the best player in baseball for the last 10 years. What has he won? Nothing. Nothing. Now we got Shohei Otani last couple of years. Shohei Otani's like Superman. What have they won? Nothing. They're a laughing stock. Takes more than one guy. You got Aaron Judge on this team. Aaron Judge right now is the MVP of the league. He'll probably win it. Can't do it all by himself. And God forbid he goes into a non-Superman streak. Other guys got to pick up the slack. You know, not having a DJ in the lineup, I think that hurts them. But there's still enough there to work with. There's still enough in this lineup right now that you should be able to muster at least one run. At least one. 
We'll see what happens here. Otherwise, I could pretty much tell you what the tone of the show tomorrow night's going to be like if the Yankees don't snap out of this over the next couple of days. I want to mention there was some sad news today uh, with the passing of Pete Carrill. Some of the younger folks may not know that name, but for you know the older generation, Pete Carrill's a basketball Hall of Famer, lifer, longtime head basketball coach at Princeton, extremely innovative. Believe it or not, that Princeton offense, you might have heard the term, you know, over the years in basketball, both in the NBA level and the college level, extremely influential. You know, predicated on the backdoor cuts, eating up the shot clock, finding the open guy, easy baskets, essentially doing what he had to do with the personnel that he had to work with. You know, and, and Pete Carrill and Princeton, when they got into the NCAA tournament, that was the team that nobody wanted to play, that the Giants, you know, the big boys, the power fives, the high seeds, that was the team you did not want to draw on Selection Sunday, right? 89, his team as a 16 almost knocked off the top seed Georgetown with Alonzo Mourning. You know, that was a nip and tuck game. I think Princeton had a lead at halftime. But I, I remember always watching those games when I was a kid and, it drove you crazy as a fan because, like, they weren't very exciting. You know, they grinded the game to a halt, taking advantage of that shot clock. You know, back then in college, it was a 48-second shot clock. He'd use every last second of it, and he'd be playing games in, like, the 40s and 50s because he know that with the guys that he got on his team, he couldn't go up and down the floor against some of those major programs because they had better athletes. They had better players. So the only way he could beat you is if he, you know, had a low-scoring game, defense, rebounds, fundamentals, eat the shot clock, you know, play in the 40s, play in the 50s. And then it finally happened, what was it, 96, when his Princeton team knocked off UCLA, who were the defending champs in the NCAA tournament in the first round. You know, there's that, like, famous clip of him on the sidelines wearing the sweater, the hair all messed up. Pete Carrill was a character, man. He really and truly was. And, you know, after he stepped away from Princeton, he actually went to the NBA and was an assistant coach with the Sacramento Kings for a little bit. And, you know, the, 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 like I said, those the, the, the Princeton offense and those principles, that made its way through the league. I mean, the Nets were even playing some of that stuff when Byron Scott was the coach and Jason Kidd. And, you know, a lot of that stuff was even rooted in some of those concepts there with the Princeton offense. So really, really sad news to hear the passing of um, of Pete Carrill. Tomorrow, as a matter of fact, we're going to dig a little bit deeper, um, you know, into his life, into his career. Jerry Carino uh, from the Asbury Park Press, uh, you know, a lot of those Gannett services there in, in New Jersey, uh, college basketball writer, the dean of New Jersey college basketball writers. He'll join me tomorrow to uh, talk about the great Pete Carrill. So we're looking forward to having Jerry on coming up tomorrow. I mentioned the baseball today. Chris Woodward got fired, former Met but he was the manager of the Texas Rangers. Fourth year, he gets let go. He's the fourth manager to lose his job this year in baseball. And this is one of those things where, look, here's what didn't add up for Chris Woodward. Texas Rangers playing in a brand-new ballpark. This is the third year of the ballpark. Ownership went out there in the offseason and spent a ton of money in free agency. They brought in John Gray as a free agent starting pitcher from Colorado. They spent half a billion dollars, billion with a B, on Corey Seager, the shortstop for the Dodgers, and Marcus Simeon, the second baseman. So they spent a half a billion dollars on a new middle infield, and guess what? Those two guys are having down years. I know that Corey Seager made the all-star team, but probably didn't deserve to make the all-star team, and Simeon's having an atrocious season. If your front office goes out there and spends all that money on two high-priced players and they're stinking up the joint, how is that reflective on the manager? 
So among other things, that was conspiring against Chris Woodward. It was his fourth year, never had a winning season. They decided to pull the plug, and now it's going to be entrusted upon somebody else once this goal gets going again next season here for Texas. They're not going to do anything this year. Um, Walker Bueller, Dodgers starter, who was on the shelf with a forearm strain. He's been out since about June. He was slated to come back in September, and you thought that he would be healthy enough to help the Dodgers in this stretch drive for the postseason. Well, Walker Bueller is going to have elbow surgery, season-ending elbow surgery. Believe it or not, the same surgeon that's doing the procedure on Walker Bueller's elbow is going to be the same doctor who's doing the operation tomorrow on Zach Wilson's knee, Dr. Neil Elitrash out in uh, L.A. How does that impact things? Well, guess what? A Dodger team without Walker Bueller, even though they have the best record in baseball, they look less formidable to me if you're talking about a playoff series. He's as good a starting pitcher as you have in the National League when he's healthy. I mean, he's got Cy Young caliber stuff, a proven playoff performer. That is a big loss for the Dodgers. They're not going to feel it now. They're not going to feel it in September, but I think they could feel it come October when it comes to the playoffs. So a couple of interesting notes today from baseball outside of uh, the Mets and the Yankees. Yanks are trailing the Rays 1-0. They are batting, or it's uh, top of the ninth inning for Tampa Bay. Mets are having a rough go of it tonight in Atlanta. Uh, Braves have opened up a 4-0 lead. You can see that this one means a little bit more to Atlanta. It looks like they got an extra little bit of pep in their step than the Mets do. And remember, the Mets are the ones who are being chased here. They don't need these games as much as the Braves do. I think if you're the Mets, you would settle for a split of these four games, and you still got the couple of aces in the hole in Scherzer and DeGrom coming up there on Wednesday and Thursday to close out the four-game series. So you still feel good about that sort of stuff. That is pretty much going to be it for us here on this uh, first rendition of the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Remember when I said back at the beginning of the show, in case you missed it, this is going to be our show. It's for us. 7 o'clock, weeknights. This is the place to come hang out. We're going to be here for you each and every night, at least until when, up until NBA and NHL starts. But thanks to Anthony Beck for hopping on. Thanks to Jacob Perry and Tom Bauer. Get me on Twitter at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Larry's coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 7, everybody. It's Dan Grasa saying so long right here on 98.7 ESPN.